Making a recipe that calls for butter? Make it better with European butter from France. With a minimum of 82% butter fat, it's no wonder French butter is the number one choice of chefs the world over. Whether you're whipping up an omelet, sauteing vegetables, or spreading it on toast, the rich, cultured flavor of butter from France always elevates. Be sure to look for Made in France on the label. And for recipes, tips, and tricks, go to tasteeurope.com. I was younger, I used to be a contributor to travel and leisure. I remember at one point flying business on Cathay Pacific to Hong Kong, yeah, uh, staying at the peninsula, not just in any room, but in the telescope suite where there's this giant telescope that looks out into the skyline from Kowloon, and then having a Rolls Royce Phantom drive me to the airport. I mean, it's like it was bananas. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm Editor-in-Chief Matt Rodbard, here with Senior Editor Anna Hiesel. Today, Matt is talking with Gary Steingart, a prolific novelist and food writer who's written New York Times bestselling books, including The Russian Debutante's Handbook, Super Sad True Love Story, and his most recent work, Our Country Friends. Man, I'm such a fan of Gary Steingart, and I've wanted to have him on the show for a long time, and it was such a pleasure to have him in our studio. We talked about how he writes about food in his fiction, the way he textures the writing with real home-cooking victories and annoyances, and what he enjoys cooking at home. We also talk about all of the restaurants he loves in New York City, and we talk about 90s New York and some of the great restaurants we've long forgotten, including the great Florent in the Meatpacking District. Here's Matt talking with Gary. Gary Steingart, welcome to the Taste Podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. You are really, you're a depth observer of online culture, celebrity shenanigans, social media, and food, the the consumed, cooked, and projected via social media channels type of food. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to know, what gets, what gets you excited about food culture today? I like the fact that anyone can sort of just open a little tiny place and it can become a gigantic hit. Um if I lived in Portland, Oregon, I was just in Portland for my book tour, and I was just eating from truck to truck. I mean, that's a very developed truck culture. Um, but I think my favorite place in New York last year was the Birialandia taco truck, which is from um, from Tijuana originally, the kind of food originates. And it's a beautiful, sloppy, wet taco that you dip into consomme. So, you know, you buy a taco, you buy a consomme, and even though your taco's sort of like falling apart because it's just brisket with just bathed in soup and you're just dipping it into more soup and I mean it's it's indecent. It's, did you it's find an that proposal? Did you find that on TikTok? Because honestly the Berea trend was yeah. was real on TikTok. It was a real thing. I am not a tick ticker talker. <laughs> uh, I am on the gram. So I'm a, okay. you know it takes me usually ten years to, to find a trend. <laughs> I just got rid of my MySpace. Um, oh I am congratulations, yeah, Mazel. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I just you know, it's just there's nothing on it. Uh, but you can still find me at Hotmail and uh, you know. Um yeah, I, I was seeing it pop up on Instagram, and then I have a friend who's sort of like my bloodhound, and he's always, and he um, he spends the whole day just basically walking around the city eating, um, and he he said you gotta go to uh, 
Flushing, and I went, mm-hmm. oh, it's so far. And then finally <laughs> they opened a, a truck in Williamsburg, so I went oh, across yeah. the river. I'm scared of subways because I'm claustrophobic. So when mm. I have to get to the <laughs> when I have to get to the uh, the boroughs from Manhattan, I take a ferry, and a lot. And the ferry often drops me off right where the good food is, like Sunset Park and uh, uh, Astoria or LIC, Long Island City, or anything like that. So I've been hopping around. Uh, eating from places. Did you place. ferry here? We're in Midtown Manhattan at the Penguin Random House office. I walked here, so I, oh. I live downtown, so I walked in Midtown. I try to also walk like six miles a day because I eat so much that yeah. um, if I don't walk for like two and a half hours, it's just it's not going to be good, you know. So we met. I say met quote because we just met today face to face, but we we emailed maybe like six years ago when you blurbed very kindly my cookbook Koreatown. Yeah, yeah that was um, the tastiest book I've ever blurbed. It was amazing. Thank uh, you for that. Sure. And and. Uh, Our Country Friends has uh, a real distinct Korean thread there. There's two main characters mm. who are who are Korean, yeah. and you write um, very vividly about Korean culture and Korean food. And I just wanted to know, like from the jump, how do you bring this distinct Korean flavor to your writing, which you've had in many of your novels? I am <laughs> surrounded by Korean Americans. That friend I just mentioned, the bloodhound, you know, <laughs> goes around. He's Korean American. My wife's Korean American. My kid, I guess, is half Korean. Um, yeah. My mentor, Chang Rae Lee, the author of many great books, was Korean American. Uh, two of my best friends. It just goes on and on. So I and, and I went to a high school that was very. Um, there were a lot of kids from immigrant backgrounds like my own. I was born in Russia in the Soviet Union, and there were a lot of kids from Korea, India, China, etc. Uh, and so I, you know, people were just sitting around eating kimbap, you know, which is a kind of lunch dish with uh, rice and seaweed. It's like a it's like a roll, but it's very substantial, and you can stuff it with anything. I've had like foie gras kimbap somewhere. Oh, over uh, David uh, Momofuku. Yeah, Momofuku. That's yeah, right. That's, yeah, that would yeah. be it. That would be it. Yeah, yeah. And, Kaui. Um, you know, and when I go to Seoul, I, I have a lunch. You know, I just it's such a cheap but incredibly filling lunch. So uh, all that culture has always been marinating, kind of like the beef. Uh, <laughs> and one of my favorite restaurants, which was in Koreatown, just closed recently, Marangusai, which, do you know that place? It's, it's uh, They did micro brisket. They did a kind of thick ribeye. Uh, it was really very delicious. Sunwon Garden? No. Uh, Marangusai, I think Changri or somebody, some Korean-American took me there, and it was... They did a really great job. I was very sad that the pandemic killed them. Um, oh, that's sorry. I didn't didn't know that one. And yeah, what else do you like in thirty five and thirty two here in the city? Um, you know, I, I think I like some of the stuff a little closer to me in downtown. Like I like Atomix is great. Oh, yeah. I love Coat the Steakhouse. Sure, um, that's a really beautiful piece of beef. Um, yeah, the last time I went to Seoul, this billionaire friend of mine took me out to like this. Pretty unassuming steakhouse, but it was like you know everyone, all the heads of the Chebol, the you know the, oh yeah the, the Chebols, the Chebols, they were all eating this really delicious steak that's been marinated in cognac for years, and you know it's just, <gasps> just Gary, that sounds rad, man. Yeah, it really cognac rad. marinated bulgogi uh, or kalbi. Yeah, kalbi bulgogi. Yo, man. Yeah, yeah. I so, love so. I was just there last year in November. Mm-hmm. What a city! I feel like no one is writing about it vividly. Yeah. I feel like. What do you What do you think? Have you Will you set a novel there? I I would love to. Um, you know, I've written. So I did a piece a long time ago for Travel and Leisure, where I kind of ate my, ate my way around Seoul, and then I did a really weird piece for the Smithsonian Magazine, where I <laughs> I researched robots in Korea. So I went yeah. from like one robot manufacturer to another, and 
uh, and but also ate my way through it too. I went to the opposite coast. You know, in China's on one coast, and mm-hmm. I can't remember what the town was on the other side. But they Pohang. Yeah, maybe. maybe that Pong? sounds kind of familiar. And, and crab was one of their specialties. Yeah. They had a lot of crab stuff, uh, like a cr- crab bibimbap, which was incredible. Oh, yo, that you sounds know. good. I feel like um, Seoul will have um, its Tokyo moment. Yeah, I hope so. At some time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, because it's kind of a, it's a huge city. I mean, so is Tokyo. But it's, uh, you know, the, the subway connects it really, the metro connects it really nicely. You can be anywhere in 20 minutes, you know, because it's such a fast Wonderful subway, so you can really eat your way through that town too, and and the great uh, food stands too. So, so your character Ed, who is Korean American uh, or Korean, I'm unsure if it's Korean, 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 with, Korean, right, with, right, right. But he has British, UK, uh, sorry, UK, Swiss, and Canadian citizenship. That's right, he's a real that's citizen of the world, yeah. real slasher, yeah. yeah. But Ed um, has this amazing line: um, "The world needs another Mediterranean cookbook." Like, I need another ulcer. It's so fun. <laughs> I, I wonder, do you believe personally in that sentiment? And then the second part is, do you, like, what is the cookbook that we do need? So here's the thing, and, and I'll, be, I'll be completely blunt. Uh, I eat like a maniac. You know, if you follow me on Instagram, at Steinger, or, or Twitter, <laughs> anything, all I'm doing is eating, you know. And then I walk six miles or I swim for two hours to try to keep some of that weight off. But that's all I do. But I do not know how to freaking cook. At all. I don't know how to boil water. The last time I did, you know, the water exploded somehow. <laughs> I, I caused like a Chernobyl-type thing in my kitchen and everything was, you know. And it's funny, upstate where I spent half the year, we have the a chef used to own the house. So there's this like, incredible, I don't know how many range, burner range mm. with 12 burners. 12? Okay. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, I can't even count them. I don't know. There's a lot of burners. <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on. There's all these buttons. It's like a, yeah. you know, airplane cockpit to the baking oven. You can put an entire pig in there or Yo. something. But it's completely lost on me. And my wife, thankfully, cooks a little bit. But, you know, we're all very busy. So there's a lot. In the New York, I just eat out all the time. But um, uh, upstate, we do sometimes cook for Christmas or something for friends. And so we'll put, you know, throw in a pig or a moose or I mean, Do you feel, though, that you have a sense of the cookbook world? Like, I mean, I know you're not a home cook, but you you write books. I do. No, I mean, you know, I enjoyed your book quite a bit. I enjoyed another book. uh, And I recently ate there in Portland, uh, Kachka, which is an amazing... You know, Russian food, look, I'll be honest, it's not my favorite food, even though I grew up there. Uh, It's not very spicy. It's kind of everything's boiled and kind of a lot of sour cream and butter. It's not my favorite, but uh, they do an incredible job, kind of hipster Russian cuisine, really great. And they wrote a very funny kind of book also, you know, um, going at one of their, you know, just like in your book, somebody has some of the heritages from there and they, and they get to contribute. So I do love to read those books. Like I can read them, you know, and they're fun, but there's got to be a narrative to it too. So it's not just, you know, oh, now, now we're going to cook this, or we're going to cook yeah. that. Uh, but uh, my wife is a really good cook, so I often buy her uh, cookbooks. For me, the more interesting stuff is sort of, if I were to attempt cooking, it would be, I guess I would go to like the Mark Bittman land. Yeah. Um, he also lives upstate. Um, and he, he's you know, yeah, he's you know. down uh, in in Cold Spring. Cold Spring, right, yeah, right, right. Yeah. So he's a little bit north uh, south of me, yeah. but um, uh, I'm more in the Rhinebeckian. Yeah, yeah, you're in the Rhinebeck land. I live upstate as well in Orange yeah. County. Yeah, so we can we can debate who has the better food. <laughs> it's funny. There <laughs> there used to be like a lot of yeah east east you know like east coast west coast. It yeah. was like east side of the river, west side of the river. But even now, I admit that <laughs> Kingston right now has the best food scene, and that's a you know that's a town of about twenty six thousand people, and a lot of Brooklynites have fled there to the point where when I was getting my license renewed. 
uh, during the pandemic, this woman came out and was like, in the DMV, and was like, no Brooklyn people. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how uh, Kingston does have incredible bakery and, and oh. pizzas up there is very good. The pizza's good. Lola's Pizzeria is great yep. if you try that. And they also yes. the Kinsley, the Hotel Kinsley has a beautiful restaurant. Ah, an I don't old know. bank. And uh, food is really spectacular. Well, this is an endorsement for Kingston and paid for by the Kingston Tourism yeah, the Kingston Bureau of uh, <laughs> um, Eatings. Speaking of, you're not a home cook, but you can write food scenes beautifully. Yes. And and yeah. I want to call out the Tonado and Snap yes. scene. Yes. Um, I, I really, anybody, I hope our listeners have read your book, Our Country Friends. It's worth it just for that recipe. <laughs> <laughs> the recipe. So is this scene based on any kind of recipe because it's written in a way that clearly you cooked it once when you were writing. I didn't cook it, but a, ah. a good friend of mine cooked it. So I often, so the, you know, our country friends, the conceders that everyone, this, this Russian writer, <laughs> where'd I come up with that, right? Yeah. He has all his <laughs> friends who are all fleeing the pandemic during the start in March, 2020. They all come up to his house and everyone takes turns cooking dinner and stuff like that. So, um, and I do something similar. I have, uh, during the summer, I invite a lot of my friends from the city to come up. Um, and I have a lot of friends who live there full time, but everyone kind of takes place, takes turns grilling or cooking. And so um, my friend, James Beluyat, who uh, is a rock musician with a band, um, used to be in a band called Versus. Now I think it's the Plus Minus Band. Mm. Really great band. Versus yeah. Rules, man. Yeah, Versus Rules, What right? a great band. It's a great band. Oh, yeah, damn. Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice reference. Nice reference, right. Yeah, so I've known him way back in the day when I think Versus, it was, it was still called Versus. Uh, and so I invited him up a couple of years ago, and he made this incredible vitello tonato, which I love. But he used, you know, snap peas, which I didn't know. And I think he got, he, I think he said he got the recipe from somewhere else. But it was so exceptional. And when the book came out as a promotional thing, um, I had the um, uh, a wonderful writer from New York Times, uh, the book review, uh, Alexandra Alter. She came up with her husband, and I invited my friend James up. And he made that, that exact thing. And a lot of people also made the exact recipes for this article for the New York New York Times. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And I feel you, even if you're reading this in winter when snap peas aren't in season, yeah. I'm like going to go find some snap peas. Yeah, it. yeah. And we actually, so we, you know, there's there's wonderful food stands all over sure. upstairs, you know, so we would buy those snap peas and then we would get, oh, and also grilled sardines. He makes these really beautiful. I don't know how he just grills them perfectly. That's a delicious you know, an underrated fish. And actually, one thing I eat that I know how to make because I just open a can is um, there's all kinds of Portuguese really high-end sardine makers. And they make them in spices and vegetable and hot vegetable oil. Oof, really delicious. So that, you know, I open up that. I um, toast up a piece of bread. I know how to do that. I put out some beautiful color, you know, um, it's more curating, olives. right? Than it's more cooking. curating, exactly. yeah. I know I, how to curate. Yeah. I have to shout out my colleague Anna Hazel, senior editor at Taste. She is writing a book about conservas and tinned fish. So I love <laughs> conservas and tinned fish. And um, there's a great place, you know, in New York called Huertas. Yes, yes, uh, of course. On First and Sixth, or around there, beautiful, really sweet uh, owners and chef and everything. And uh, it's partly, I mean, it's around. They do other kinds of dishes too, but you can you can have a whole meal of beautiful cockles and mussels and sardines and whatever is just beautiful. Speaking of collecting, you write very vividly about the, your bar, uh, you know, the bar at the at the house in the in the novel, yeah. and yeah. and I like that you have your protagonist mixing uh, Negronis with 60-year Campari, 60-year-old. Is that intentionally like, a this guy doesn't know what he's doing, or do you actually have a moment 
do you believe that this is the best way to make a Negroni? Look, I have people who, when they come by, everyone brings a bottle of something, and a lot of my friends bring really special stuff. Sure. You know, uh, from all over the world. We have uh, some French, a French friend who lives nearby, and she, her parents are in wine country, but they make their own gin, and they bottle it. And it's unlike any other gin I've ever, and I love making martinis, and I just couldn't bring myself to make anything with them. I just drink this gin straight up, nothing else. Uh, it is the elixir of the gods. It's so <laughs> beautiful. But, yeah, people bring all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, my God, should I? what do I do with antique Campari? Probably I should just drink it by, uh, you know, make a, something. I but, love that but, you have antique Campari on hand. That's well, the best thing. Well, it's all gone by now, but yeah, yes, yeah. it existed at one point. Now I'm, now I'm like slowly going through this gin. And, <laughs> but I, I know that people will always surprise me, and people come from all over. You know, people do their travels. Well, this has stopped during the pandemic, but before people would be like, oh, I just, um, somebody just brought me, I was on tour in, I, when I was reading in San Francisco, and I love anything Georgian. There's a great Georgian restaurant in my part of uh, Manhattan. Yeah. Um, What's and, it called? Um, it's called Chito Gavrito. Um, I can't remember where it is exactly, but yeah. it's somewhere near Union Square. And it's, oh, these aubergine rolls and, oh, uh, nice. and uh, this garlicky chicken they do, uh, a whole hen. Mm, mm, mm. Just incredible. So um, this guy who's just, you know, he reads my books and he brought me homemade cha-cha, which is a kind of Georgian brandy, C-H-A-C-H-A. Uh, and it was so freaking good. And I realized I was, you know, I had to wake up the next morning and I forgot that I had it, and then the and the dude in the airport is like, <laughs> nice. it's like seven in the morning. I had an early flight to Portland. He's like, you can't, you know, you gotta you gotta check in your luggage. And I was like, there's no time, so I just drank the whole freaking bottle, <laughs> the whole freaking bottle. Wow. And I think I had like a NPR interview or something later that day. And I'm like, let me tell you about my book. Uh, <laughs> I'll definitely link to that interview in the show notes. <laughs> you can find it. Yeah. Oh my god. I love no, it. It's, it's great. Um, I feel like uh, this book it has a lot of uh, a time traveling happening, and I and one of the wonderful parts of the aspects of the book, our country friends, is the flashbacks of New York in the '90s, New York City. And I got to shout out to Screaming Mimi's. That's yeah, a Screaming great Mimi's. reference. But thank you. <laughs> one of the best references is Florent. You write about Florent as a meatpacking mm-hmm. institution from the 80s until, I would say, 2014, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. 2010. I might be wrong. Let's talk about Florent because clearly you have a connection to the place. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was such an eye-opener for me. You know, I grew up in eastern Queens, Little Neck, Queens, you know, which is uh, – it might as well be the suburbs, kind of this very <laughs> – yeah. it's far away. There's not even a subway there. You have to take the Long Island Railroad to get into town. And I was it was a very provincial – I went to this – um, kind of parochial Jewish school, right? I, you know, uh, I didn't even know what Manhattan was. Like for a while, I confused some of the tall buildings in Queens for Manhattan. I, I just didn't know where, you know. And then I got into this high school in Manhattan, this kind of math and science high school, where I met all of my friends, so who some of whom are, you know, composites for some of the characters in our country friends. So, um, and that was Manhattan. That was a lower, uh, East Village, Lower East Side mm. kind of place, and. It was incredible. And along the way, I think right, maybe right after school ended, I discovered Florent. And it was a trip. First of all, the food was really good. Always. Really good. Always good. It was never bad. I mean, that's the one thing about this restaurant. It was never always bad. good. Never bad. You could buy a carafe of white wine for, I think, six bucks, right? Which I know was more then, right? But still, you know, whatever. Can you imagine a $10 carafe today? Um, and and mussels with fries, um, this incredible... Um, what was it? Oh, it was like a goat cheese spinach. Again, remember, I was from 
nowhere from Hickland. And for me, this kind of, you know, cheap French food, please. But it was also the fact that it stayed open almost entirely through the night. And it was filled with denizens that I had never, ever imagined in my life. You know, every artist went down there. Every writer went down there. There were prostitutes, uh, transgender prostitutes, who used to ply their trade along Little West 12th. Yeah, Village Gansport. Idiot, right on that stretch. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, and so they would drop in at 3 in the morning after finishing their, I guess, shift uh, or before a new shift began. And, you know, and it was the most democratic place in New York. And that's the kind of stuff I really miss now that Manhattan, and that's one of the reasons I really enjoy living upstate, not that we have that exactly, but it feels a lot certainly more democratic than the New York of today. I mean, you really have to go to, you know, to find a taco truck in Queens or Brooklyn, if you want, or the Bronx, if you want to find something like that today. But uh, the Florent was just, and it was a beautiful kind of, you know, it had a chrome bar. There was a, a kind of a letter a zinc, board. It had a zinc bar. Zinc bar, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sorry, zinc bar. It had a kind of letter board where there would be funny writings. The The owner was this wonderfully flamboyant dude. You know, he was a French guy. His, his name was Florent. Um, it, was, it was probably the most perfect restaurant in the world. And when it closed, I remember I went there the night before it closed. Oh, you did? I did. Oh, wow. I did. I was doing a reading in Israel of all places. And I was like, put me on the flight. I got to get back in time for it. And it was... So depressing, honestly. Um, it, it, and I think for me, Manhattan really lost a lot of its luster. After it that. was the meatpacking district, b- district before Restoration Hardware, before a lot of that bullshit that, that made that neighborhood soulless. Uh, it's soulless. I'm sorry to offend people who live there. But I will. Is, I, I, okay, go <laughs> ahead. I mean, to, it's, it's, the, it's one of my most disliked neighborhoods. Yeah, me too. I, I go there for the Apple store, and it's like, <laughs> that's right. That's where you go for it. Like, yeah. It's like high-end electronic crap, not, not anything... I haven't eaten there in ages. Oh, you know, Pastis reopened. That's okay, but yep. you know, I wish they would move somewhere else. Yeah. Do you remember when Tom Brown used to hang out at Pastis like every single morning? Yeah. He would be yeah. at the like That's at right. the like, Pastis had a real vibe too, similar to yeah. Florent like years later. Yeah, yeah. Characters. Pastis sort of picked up the baton from Florent in a way, but it was never like it. Never, never like, like it. it. But I, I just think, are there any other restaurants from 90s New York that you want to remember? I think our audience would, would appreciate that. I would yeah, yeah. So there were a bunch actually not far from the meatpacking industry. And I used to live around that area. I used to live on 11th and, uh, oh, God, I can't remember where, like uh, Greenwich probably. Yeah, Greenwich and 11th around there. So there was a great place on Jane around there called El Faro. And I think I've written about that in other books I've written because it is it was a real kind of a Spanish place. Everybody used to smoke inside. The walls were these kind of murals of um, scenes from Galicia. It was the Galician cuisine. So mariscada in green sauce, like thick and garlic or shrimp al ajillo. And just everything was, I mean, the salad had garlic on it. The <laughs> tablecloth had garlic on it, you know. You walked out of there and you would smell like garlic for the rest of your life and, and smoke because people would smoke yeah, while What eating. a wonderful bouquet there. The garlic breath and the, and the cigarette. I the mean, cool you know, stuff. and I remember like people go on dates. I would make out with people after <laughs> yeah. smoking and eating there. I don't know how the hell because it didn't matter at that point. You know, everyone no. smelled like a, a garlic ashtray. Um, just delicious, delicious food. Yeah. Another place, um, uh, what the hell was it called? Rio Mar, which was also, which was right down the street from um, Florence. Um, in one of those sort of triangular buildings, beautiful buildings, um, also Spanish food, uh, specializing obviously in, in seafood. Uh, I, went, I saw, I think, the biggest roach I've ever seen in New York <laughs> the, on the wall there. It looked like one of the lobsters had escaped. For a second, I was like, 
Huh? Get him back in the tank, and then I'll even then he sh- flew all, flew away, and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh my god! I'll even shout out the old Fatty Crab that was Fatty over Crab. It. Remember yeah. Fatty Crab? I remember Fatty Crab. I think one of the owners of Fatty Crab, I don't know how this works. I think they have a place in Hudson, which is another great food town upstate, called Back Bar. Zach is... Palaccio. Oh, oh, that's it. Zach Palaccio. Hopefully, one day will be on the podcast. I right. Old, uh, you know, acquaintance of mine, good guy, good, good guy. guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in, he's behind that, right? Yeah. So, so that's a great place, and they do a kind of um, they do all of the cuisines of South Asia, of Southeast Asia, which can be a disaster, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But everything has a very specific taste, and everything is as spicy as it should be. So, highly recommend. When handled in the right hands, like Southeast Asian cuisine, yeah. my goodness, yeah, it's yeah. the best. Yeah. Let's get let's talk about your travels because you you reference some travel writing you've done and and. A lot of travel for your for your book tours and, and your and your mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. Where do you like to travel for the food? I know this question seems boring, but I feel like I want to just. Where does your mind go when I ask you this kind of basic question? Yeah, I used to be a contributing when I was younger. I used to be contributing to travel and leisure. Uh, Ooh, with like good expense accounts. With era? the greatest oh, expense accounts because this was nice. an, when Amex owned it. Yeah, something called Meredith. I think owns it now. Oh, so. so they gave you like a black or something. They didn't give me a card, but there was you know I remember like I remember at one point flying business on Cathay Pacific to Hong Kong. Yeah, uh, staying at the peninsula, not just in any room, but in the um, in the telescope suite when there's this giant telescope that looks out into the skyline from Kowloon, where you know, uh, and then having a Rolls Royce Phantom drive me to the airport. I mean, it, was, it was bananas. You know, I was like 30 years old. I'm like, this is life. Wow. And it's all been downhill from there, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I so yeah, I, I, food was a huge concentration for me. So I think some of the cities I enjoyed most, Bangkok for sure. I mean, mm. another one of those cities where. You walk around, people are selling you, you know, hot soup in plastic bags and you drink through a straw. I mean, you know, you, you just kind of another great city for ferries. You can take a ferry and hop around from, um, you know, from pier to pier. And there's great food just walking a couple of blocks inland. Bombay is incredible. And I went there with a friend of mine, Suketu Mehta, who's a great eater and uh, wrote Bombay Maximum City, a great Pulitzer finalist of a book about Bombay. So he was, he knew where all the, you know, so we were both eating really well and being chased by gangsters and stuff. It was like a, a sounds like its own novel, uh, your trip. It it was, it was a full tilt kind of adventure. Uh, Beijing has great food. Um, Yeah, I think Asia, Seoul, obviously, as I mentioned, a piece on Seoul. Asia to me has some of the best food out there right now. Uh, in terms of America, I, I think Memphis is an incredible and underrated food for uh, for barbecue. Yeah, I love a good barbecue. Um, so I, yeah, I, Beale I, Street's got some spots, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. you get. I think uh, there's a lot of lot of good dry rub barbecue up there. Yeah, really good, and a lot of it is like in not in downtown, far from downtown. Yeah, so you're you right, have to you're Uber right. around. And it's always, I think there's one called A&R or something. Mm-hmm. It's in the middle of nowhere. I've never had anything so delicious. You know, it's like two bucks or something. It's ridiculous. But Nice, Gary. Really great incredible. pick from Memphis. That was unexpected. I yeah. love that pick. Great yeah, one. Memphis is really great. I mean, the South in general is, is yeah. pretty damn good. Uh, I would definitely put Memphis uh, on the map, yeah. Do you want to um, break from fiction and get into some travel logs? Yes! Is that- <laughs> I would love to. Are you kidding me? I would love to have my own, like, travel show or something, yeah. you know? I remember at one point we pitched it to some travel channel, but uh, they were like, I, I had a bad pitch. I wanted to, yeah. I think it was going to be called the, the Annoyed Traveler or something. It was like, it was like me moping around because I, I didn't get bumped up to business <laughs> or something. And they're like, yeah, maybe not. But yeah. like just a food trip, that would be incredible because I eat like a mother. I you feel know? you could take Tucci on. I feel like you could take him on. <laughs> <laughs> we aren't starting controversies here, don't worry. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would love for you to to host a show or some kind of meet. I, I just enjoy your travel writing. you written for Sephora. I enjoy it. Thank so. you. I enjoy writing it more than anything, honestly. <laughs>
So I want to ask you about the bungalow colony you grew up you, mm-hmm. you grew up going to. It is in Ellenville. It was in Ellenville. Yeah. Do you know Ellenville? Have you been there? So I was going to ask you about mm-hmm. Cohen's Bakery. Oh yeah. Did you ever go there and have the corn rye at Cohen's? No, we didn't. And it was the reason was well, first of all, we didn't really know much about Ellenville. When we went to Ellenville, we went to one place only. There was a kind of mm. it was like a Dairy Queen setup, but it wasn't Dairy Queen. It was like an off-brand Dairy Queen. Yeah. Dairy King, had, probably. Dairy King. Yeah. <laughs> dairy. Yeah. Uh, dairy Princess. Yeah. Um, it was. Um, so we went there. And then we went to the supermarket. We were also all really like uh, recent immigrants. Nobody spoke English well. And we had, um, you know, we couldn't afford anything. You know, uh, I remember like when we went out to uh, Ponderosa Steakhouse. Yeah. Like that was a big thing or Sizzlers, you know. And I remember we'd go there and we would all stock up, you know, our grandparents would be putting tomatoes into their purses to, you know, to try to steal them. And because um, we're like, whoa, six ninety nine, we got to make this Buffet last. culture you know, is real, culture, man. You know, it's real. So we didn't, I don't think we, but there was a woman who drove around in this station wagon, this gigantic like AMC or something station wagon. And she would sell, she was this big woman and she would scream, uh, breads, cakes, all across the bungalow colony. And all these Russians would come out for a quarter. You could buy a Danish for 50 cents. You could buy like a- What a cool memory. Yeah. And so I wrote about this in a memoir called Little Failure. And all of a sudden, this guy wrote in and said, I think that was my mom. Uh And he said, we had a difficult relationship, I think. And she had issues and stuff. And that was very interesting because to us, she was like the the bringer of bread. She was the baker. Well, I have to say in Ellenville today, there's a bakery called Cohen's Bakery. Ellenville is on the Whitaker Honkson over the hill up in the Uh Catskills. And I feel like it is the best Jewish bakery in New York State. Wow. And the corn rye that they're making is insane. It is so good. It It is the most deeply flavorful bread and wow. it has a texture. I think good rye has that vel- that wow. velvety texture, yeah, I love right? Good rye. Oh. good rye. It's it's corn rye. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was just wondering if you've been up there. I, I highly recommend. I, a visit. I, I'm gonna go for sure. <laughs> I'm gonna go for sure. I actually well, and there's an, there's a restaurant there that people have been talking. about. I hope it didn't close. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aroma or something. Aroma mm-hmm. something. I don't know if you've ever, you haven't ever tried it. I, I would love to try both, go to the bakery and the restaurant. I've not been to Rome. I've heard about it, but I, I know there's some some cool things. In Ellenville, a very small little town, and it has a so great small. little theater there, though. Yeah, the theater. So what, is the theater now movies, or is it uh, uh, plays? It's a stage. It's a it's summer a stock. It's a stage. Yeah. Oh, because I think it was at one point a movie theater, because I remember seeing Octopussy there and being so <laughs> wowed by that. I think it was my first bomb Oh, there film. is a movie theater there. Of course, there's yeah. a movie theater there, and it's an uh-huh. old two-screener. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wonderful little yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, oh, really yeah. Really great stuff, like a quarter for popcorn back in the day. <laughs> oh, my God. I had such great memories. I'm glad we're talking about a TV and film because you write for Succession. And I and you also just praised Yellow Jackets, which yeah, shout out yeah. Yellow Jackets. I, I should I should preface by saying I've done some some stuff for Succession. I'm not like you know okay one of the main writers, but I do I did work on the second season. M- my yeah. error, uh, not yours, because that was clear when I prepped. It was you're a consultant on a Succession. Yeah. So I guess what draws you to this TV work? And, and in terms of the TV work, um, do you write food scenes? Because you have such this grasp of food writing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I do. I haven't. I've never written a food scene. Uh, I hope to write a food scene. Uh, I find TV really. I'm I'm a very dialogue driven writer. So a lot of my uh, books, you know, just people talking, people talking over food, and you know, prestige TV is all about people talking over food, sometimes in a private jet. But that's the you know that's that's succession really. They're all just talking and drinking and uh, making snide remarks over really ex- overpriced food. And um, so uh, yeah, I, I I would love to I would love to write a food scene. Um, 
Uh, and I th- shows like Billions have great food scenes. You know, they often call out great New York uh, eating spots. I think the people that write for that are big foodies. Yeah. So, the creator is, is clearly a foodie. The creator's He's, a huge yeah. foodie. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Koppelman, right? Yeah, yeah, Brian Koppelman. Yeah. He's definitely, like, hanging out with a lot of food writers. And I, I like, obviously, TV that has, like, a real understanding of food and not just a surf yeah. superficial, like, yeah. resonates yeah. with, like, 98% of the population. Yeah, and, you know, I, I on, on that note, I love hanging out with uh, food critics. You know, I just recently had drinks with Adam Platt at mm-hmm. Pastis, actually, oh, cool. you know, and he's really great. He's got a nice kind of... Uh, a no BS kind of attitude toward restaurants in New York. I remember Pete Wells, whose who's critiques I love. I remember having dinner with him, too. So there's some really, really delicious writers out there. I love – you can learn a lot from a food critic. And on this show, just going to shout out, we've had interviews with Bill Addison at the L.A. Ooh. Times, Ruth Reichel, former New York Times, L.A. Times. Sure. Uh, Pete Wells previously. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Pete. Yeah, that's, is yeah. that who I said? Or? Yeah, yeah, Pete. Yeah, yeah Pete. we've had him all on the Taste podcast. And, we, really and, and Robert Seitz eats him So Oh, I love his stuff, He's too. great. And you can learn love a lot from the stuff. critics. Love his stuff. Yeah. We ask all of our guests on the Taste podcast if there was a book that you could write, a cookbook. Let's just say cookbook, Gary. Without a budget or time or any even a deadline, what would that cookbook be? Wow, that's a really tough one. I feel like if it existed, maybe it already exists. Has, does Russ and Daughters have a cookbook? Ooh, ooh! Don't quote me on it. I'm gonna say they've got such great branding. They must, they must have, a have one. See, this is the thing. So if they have one, then that kind of destroys any need for a cookbook for me because yeah. that that kind of cook because they're incredible in that they have an amazing drinks list. One of the best drinks list. I mean, their mixology is second to none. It's a cool place. Um, you know, I love because the Russian idea of food is you're basically it's it's all about zakuski, which is sort of the appetizer. I mean, the main dishes kind of suck if you ask me. Sorry, all <laughs> the Russians out there, but it's the you know you're sitting around little bits of herring on pumpernickel toast or sturgeon or sable or any one of these wonderful fishes. You put it in a blini, you put it on some kind of rye or, or some kind of peasant bread, uh, some pickles, and then you mix it with incredible drinks, right? And that's all you need, you know? So if there was, if that's, you know, that's what I like to serve people. That's my contribution when, when my friends make uh, dinners, you know, and they cook these uh, very complex, you know, my friend Suketu makes beautiful mm-hmm. Gujarati vegan mm-hmm. dishes oh, or vegetarian great. dishes. And my, um, you know, my friend James makes that incredible vitello. And I will make, I will open up some beautiful Russian daughter's sardines, slap them on pumpernickel bread and get some incredible vodka into the mix. And, I think uh, a little bit of talking. vodka goes a long way. It really does. And Gary Scheingart, thank you for joining us on Thank you so podcast. much. Thank you. Appreciate it. The Taste Podcast is hosted by Matt Rodbard and me, Anna Heasel. The show is produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Our theme music is by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.